Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by Lee Jeep with the new Jeep Wrangler and Grand Cherokee 4xe plug-in hybrid models at Lee Jeep in Auburn and Westbrook. LeeAuto.com. Welcome to Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Steve Missler, Maine Public's chief political correspondent. This week and through the election, The Pulse is teaming up with Maine Calling to bring listeners weekly news and analysis about the 2022 midterms. These discussions will occur live during Maine Calling's regular Friday broadcast, which takes place between 11 a.m. and noon and is rebroadcast from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. What you're about to hear is a lightly edited version of today's live discussion hosted by Maine Calling's Jennifer Rooks with political reporter Kevin Miller and myself. Welcome to you both, Kevin. I'll start with you, and we will start with the contest for governor. The final debate in the race for the Blaine House happened last night. What stood out to you? Did voters learn anything new? Yeah, thanks, Jen. Well, it it was a fairly lively debate, which I guess is to be expected when candidates are appearing together for the last time. Uh, The debate covered many of the same issues we've heard before, inflation, abortion, education, affordable housing. But you know there were definitely some interesting exchanges on the abortion issue, which, as we talked about last week, some people were disappointed that it didn't come up in the previous uh, debate. It definitely came up this time. And LePage really doubled or tripled down on this insistence that he would not try to change Maine's 30-year-old law protecting women's uh, access to abortion. In fact, at one point, he said decisions really should be between a woman and her doctor, which is what the abortion rights crowd you know, has always been saying. And, you know, this is coming from a candidate who made a point of marching in annual right to life rallies in Augusta when he was governor and has been an outspoken opponent of abortion. So this certainly seems to be more evidence of how LePage and his campaign are really trying to soften his formerly pretty hardline attitude on abortion, given how big of an issue that it's become this year. You know, another interesting trend that we've seen over the past couple of weeks that came out in the debate last night is People are still talking about inflation, of course, but that debate has really kind of zeroed down onto the issue of energy prices, particularly heating oil, in the past couple of weeks, which I guess is no surprise, you know, since winter's coming once we get past this this mild patch. But LePage called on Governor Mills to sign a waiver to allow heating oil with higher sulfur content to Maine. Uh, the governor says she's her administration is looking into that. Governor Mills says her administration is putting together proposals for the legislature when they come back in December. But again, she didn't really offer any specifics. So, And I think that's an issue that a lot of people are looking for is, is specifics. And then kind of lastly, one thing that jumped out is, you know, former Governor LePage continues to struggle sometimes with facts. At one point, Mills said that he had prohibited his commissioners from speaking with uh, state legislators. He angrily responded by calling it a bold-faced lie but it took me and and probably a lot of other people all of 30 seconds to find headlines from when he, in fact, did tell several of his commissioners that they would no longer speak to certain legislative committees. And if lawmakers wanted to hear from them from the administration, they had to go through him. So it, it, interesting debate. Steve, so much of the focus has been on the big races for governor and Congress. But every single state legislative seat is also up for grabs. We know that a lot of outside money is being spent on some of these races, a record amount. Why is the balance of power in the main legislature significant to national groups? Yeah, so there's a few reasons, Jen. Uh, First is that 
a lot of important issues are being decided at the state level now. I mean, abortion rights is a recent and salient example. You know, after the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade back in June, that effectively made state legislatures and governors the arbiters of abortion. And decisions about access to the procedure are now in the hands of state lawmakers and governors. So that's one. I mean, health care and voting rights are other good examples of issues that state legislatures are tackling. And of course, when they do that, that means outside groups want to influence their decision making. So they get involved in campaigns. But another reason why these groups are interested in legislative races in Maine and across the country, and we've seen an explosion in spending on uh, state houses everywhere, not just Maine. And one of that, one of the reasons is because Congress has been unable or unwilling to tackle legislation that some of these some of these groups either want or oppose. So now corporations, unions, or other interests are funneling money into uh, into legislative races in the hopes of getting a toehold policy enacted in one or two states and then hoping other states will follow suit and potentially lead to uh, a change in federal law uh, if all goes according to plan. And a lot of the a lot of the time these groups aren't funneling donations directly to candidates, but through party committees or special interest uh, political action committees because there's no donation or spending limit there, whereas there is for candidate campaigns. And it's one of the reasons you know we here at Maine Public pay such close attention to spending by those groups and less so on the candidate campaigns. And finally, you know, we've seen this uptick in spending on legislative races here in Maine as a result of all these factors. When I started covering state politics in 2010, there was this huge controversy when the Republican State Leadership Committee came in and dropped like $400,000 on five legislative races. That amount seems almost quaint now. We have a single state Senate seat drawing $1 million in outside spending this year, and there are only about 36,000 people living there. Now, granted, that is a bit of an outlier, but we also have Senate seats drawing a half million dollars or close to it. So the cost of, of these seats and in winning or losing is just skyrocketing. And a lot of that is for the reasons I just mentioned. Kevin, who controls the legislature translates into who controls some of Maine's important offices. Those are referred to as Maine's constitutional officers. Explain what's at stake, you know, that part of this importance of the legislative races. Yes. So unlike in the vast majority of states uh, here in Maine, the attorney general and the secretary of state are elected by the state legislature, not by voters. And that means whichever party controls the House and the Senate typically gets to choose one of their own for those positions. And you know, this is this is important because the secretary of state oversees Maine's elections. And of course, you know, the attorney general is the state's top legal official. And can decide you know, whether to say whether to join attorney general attorneys general in other states that are challenging federal laws at the U.S. Supreme Court, or where the state's prosecutors should be putting their energies. We've we've seen throughout this election that voters on both sides of the aisle, and um, probably even more the independents that we have here in Maine, have expressed a lot of concern and, and fear about the state of our democracy. Uh, former President Trump and his allies, you know, they continue to push their false claims about that the 2020 election was somehow stolen from him. And we've we've heard some of that rhetoric here in Maine from Republican candidates for the legislature. So if Republicans are able to win control of the Maine House and, and the Senate, we could see attempts to change voting laws 
whether that's instituting photo ID requirements at the polls or making more dramatic changes to, to voting laws. So, so that, those are kind of the key issues of why these these the control of the legislature is a bigger factor when it comes to these constitutional officers here in Maine than than you see in other states. Steve, what are the biggest issues that the next governor and legislature might fa- face? What what's on the line? Well, quite a bit. I mean, Kevin alluded to one issue, which is the home heating oil, which I think legislators and the governor will have to tackle almost as soon as the legis- the um, the election is over and then and a new le- legislature is sworn in in mid-December. You know, I, I mentioned abortion. That's an issue that Democrats are talking about because, again, access to the procedure is now decided by legislatures and governors. And if Republicans win a trifecta, that is, they win the governor's office, the state house, and the Senate, they could pass legislation to restrict access. If Democrats retain their trifecta, which they have right now, they could push their abortion policies, perhaps expand access or make it so women living in another state that has banned abortion, and there are several, uh, would be able to get one here uh, without you know suffering any penalties or prosecution from their home state. Th- those are That's just one issue example. Voting rights. Uh, LePage has made no secret about wanting um, about wanting to adopt voter ID in Maine, and he'll have a good chance of doing it if he wins and the GOP takes control of the legislature. Public education funding and curriculum have been major issues in the gubernatorial campaign, as well as legislative races. So states where Republicans have gained control have moved to ban certain books from school libraries, or they've made it easier for parents to do it on their own. Um In Florida, for example, Republicans passed a law that made it easier for parents to sue their school districts over curriculum decisions. Those kind of changes could be proposed in Maine. We don't know if they will be or not, but, you know, there's there's a national trend of them occurring in in other states. And if Democrats win, you know, and they retain their trifecta again, what they which they have right now, they'll be able to push their agenda. That might mean overhauling criminal justice laws or additional climate change uh, bills or bills to deal with climate change, proposing tax changes, or simply growing or creating government programs that Republicans might think are unnecessary or just wasteful. Kevin, in this final few days, the ads and flyers are relentless for people, especially in Maine's second congressional district. What can you tell us about the race between Jared Golden, Bruce Poliquin, and Tiffany Bond right now? Yeah, they, they have been absolutely relentless. And you know, what that tells us is that this race between Re- Democratic Representative Jared Golden and former Republican Congressman Bruce Pogwin is still very much in play, at least in the eyes of the two national parties. Uh, Pogwin continues to portray Golden as basically a pawn in the Biden-Pelosi agenda, even though Golden has voted against that agenda more than any other Democrat. And Golden is playing up uh, that independence or moderate streak while you know his campaign and their allies portray Poliquin as a as bad for retirees and veterans and pretty much everybody else. This is one of the most expensive house races in the country, like it was uh, four years ago when Golden unseated Poliquin in, in a ranked choice runoff. Uh, the two candidates have spent about $7 million as of the middle of the month. But as Steve just talked about in the race for governor and legislature, it's the national parties and the outside groups that are absolutely pouring money into Maine. And it was about $21 million last time I checked. As far as the race, there's a new poll out that probably shows why we're seeing all this spending. Um, it showed Golden at 43% and Poliquin at 40%. 
with independent Tiffany Bond at 8%, but then 9% were undecided. You know, that's a, a narrower margin for Golden than we've seen in other recent polls. But regardless of whether it's three, whether it's a three percent gap or or even a double digit lead, like we've seen seen in other polls, um, this race certainly looks like it's going to be coming down to a rank choice runoff with Bond supporters tipping over one of the one of the two guys over the top. And I suspect that's the same scenario that played out in 2018 is probably going to play out this time again, which is Golden picks up a lot of those Bond supporters. Steve, we've talked a lot about how. Maine's congressional districts, especially the 2nd District, are important to the national parties. But I want to turn it around and ask you, how could the outcome of the election nationally affect Maine's influence in Congress? Well, that's a great question, Jen, and it, and it could change in a couple of ways. So, for example, 1st District Congresswoman Shelley Pingree, a Democrat, is on the House Appropriations Committee, which really has a lot of influence over spending decisions in Congress. And, and her position there gives her some influence in those decisions, decisions that could affect federal funding for Maine. Um, if she were to, to lose that seat to Republican challenger Ed Thielander, Maine would lose that post on appropriations because seniority generally determines membership of that particular committee. And remember, that was one of the big talking points from Republican Senator Susan Collins when she was running for re-election in 2020. And as it turns out, uh, Collins could become chairwoman of the Senate Appropriations Committee if Republicans manage to win a majority in the uh, US Senate this year, which is a distinct possibility. Um, Maine could benefit from that outcome by way of federal funding decisions. But back over to the House, if Republicans win a majority, Democrats like Pingree and second district Congressman Jared Golden will obviously have more difficult time getting legislation passed, but it's actually pretty hard to do that right now with Democrats in control. That said, it, collectively, those seats can matter a lot on big issues, especially if majorities are small like they are right now for Democrats. Remember, it was Golden and centrist Democrats who blocked a key proposal by the Biden administration last year, Build Back Better. Uh, they took a lot of heat for that, but it just showed how a small contingent of individual lawmakers can, um, they can wield a lot of influence and in, in decision if the majorities of their party are narrow. But let's assume that the GOP is going to win the, the US House and have the majority next year, and that Bruce Poliquin is going to you know, defeat Golden. That means Poliquin is going to be involved in some pretty big decisions. There are Trump Republicans already talking about uh, impeaching President Joe Biden, in launching investigations into his son, Hunter Biden. And those same Trump Republicans are also talking about squeezing off aid to Ukraine as it tries to repel the Russian invasion of the country. Now, Poliquin would have to vote on those issues if either of them, you know, gain traction in a GOP-controlled House. So that's just a, you know, a small example of what's in play here and, it's, and what's at stake. There's a lot more, to, but just too much, too much to list off right now. And Steve, is Poliquin on the record um, in terms of impeachment? Has he been asked and has he answered? I don't believe that he's been asked. And so he certainly hasn't answered. I, you know, I think it, what I have noticed is that Republicans, sort of mainstream Republicans, which I guess you could probably put Poliquin in that box, They've really tried to downplay that issue. They don't want to talk about an impeachment and that sort of thing because they're worried that it'll turn off independent voters um, that you know they'll actually need to win this year. So they don't want to talking. They don't want to talk about 
things that are sort of partisan in nature, like going after the president's son and then the president himself. They want to talk about what they've been talking about, which is inflation, price of energy and gas and that sort of thing. And anything else is a distraction from their path to victory. And that's Maine's Political Pulse for this week. Be sure to tune into Maine Calling next Friday at 11 a.m. to hear The Pulse live. And if you can't tune in, podcast subscribers can still hear The Pulse Friday afternoons. And don't forget our weekly newsletter, which you can read at mainepublic.org slash pulse. I'm Steve Missler. We'll talk to you next week.